surface of the sea and it would get hotter and hotter. And then he'd go to the next hotel and the same problem and over and over and over the same thing for his whole couple of week business travel. He's, he's thinking the Central American plumbers have issues, right? So he finally asks somebody and this is what he was told. H doesn't mean hot. It means a lotto, cold. C doesn't mean cold. It means caliente, hot. Once he had the understanding, then it all was going okay for him. That's exactly what life is like for us. Today, we're going to be pouring into a passage of Scripture where we need to gather an understanding. We need to have a proper perspective of who God is and what he's about and how we're to interact with him in the midst of tough times. Or we're going to get frustrated. We're going to have some dissatisfying little experiences. Let's level set with who God is. I am will provide. We're in the second week of a series, Signature of the Almighty, learning about God through his names. Today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. The ushers are going to be coming forward. We've got some Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers would love to loan one to you so that you can go through this with us. We are going to be pouring through this scripture, okay? Genesis 22, 1 through 14. So why don't you guys turn there, and I'm going to get us going. Okay, there's a couple of ways to tell a story. So we tried one last week, which was uh, in the first person. Uh, there's another way to tell a story. It's in the second person. I was there but I wasn't the main guy. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is called to do some pretty tough things. Isaac actually was too, although we don't really typically talk about that. From Isaac's perspective, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. I remember when dad came and woke me up that night. I mean, he shook me. It was like three in the morning. Stars are still out. It is not time to get up. And he says, wake up, Isaac. It is time. God has called us to go. He wants me to go worship him. And he wants you to come too. That sounds like a pretty nice invite. So I jumped up, got ready and took off with him. Outside of the tent, he says, go get the other young men that help us. They have a couple servants in their family. And so he goes and gets them. And Isaac runs off to get these people. And as Isaac runs into him, he says, it is time. And they said, for what? And he goes, I don't know, but we're supposed to go worship. Come, let's go. And so as we run together towards the donkeys and we begin to stack the firewood on it and we get it all set and we get the flame and we get the knife, and we start off, I'm thinking to myself, Dad is getting a little old. Where is the lamb we're going to sacrifice? But you know, I don't question my father. And so we keep walking and walking and walking all day. That night we camp out. And normally when we sit around the fire at night, oh, we tell stories. But not that night. Dad didn't want to talk much. He had one story to tell. I remember when God gave me a promise through you, Yitzhak, that the generations would be blessed, that I would have many generations below me through you. God promised. 
And then he went to bed. That's it. My dad is not a dad of few words. But then he was. The next day we got up and we walked and we walked and we walked and we walked all day again. And I'm talking with the young men that are with us because dad's not talking much. And the guys are kind of doing the, what's with your dad thing going on? You know? And I'm like, I don't know. He's just not talking. And as my dad's walking along, he's doing something like this. He promised. He promised. I must do it. He promised. He seemed to be muttering to himself over and over. There just wasn't much words from my dad. A lot of action. That's the best way I can say it. Do, do, do. Get this thing done. Let's go. We're going to be obedient. That apparently is who my dad was then. Camp the second night, same thing. Up the third day, walking and walking and walking. And finally my dad stops. And he looks up. And he says, we are here. God has told me this is where we are to be. Moriah. And so he looks at the boys that are with us and he says, you stay here. I'm like, what? They're supposed to help with carrying things. He says, you stay here. And then he puts all the wood on my back and straps it in and says, let's go. And he grabs fire and a knife. And I'm like, you know, it's time to ask. Hey, dad, have you checked the checklist? You're missing something. What about the lamb? And he looks at me. And his eyes pierced me as he said, God will provide for himself that lamb. Not God will provide for us. God will provide for himself that lamb. Okay, it's your trip. Let's go. So we start walking up the mountain and we go all the way to the top and we set the whole altar up. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, are you sure you got the memo right, Dad? There's not a lamb around here. And then he takes a rope and he tests it twice. And he comes over to me and he begins to wrap it around my hands and tying them together. And I can only remember thinking, should I speak up? I suppose I should trust him. Maybe this is a test moment for me that he's trying to... And so he ties my hands in close and he wraps it around me tight. And I'm thinking... I'm not getting the message, Dad. I don't know what you're trying to teach me. And then he lifts me up and he sets me on the altar. Oh, I get it. So it's kind of a symbolic thing. Okay, what are we doing, Dad? And then he grabs this knife, double fists it, and he raises it up over him. And his eyes open like saucers. And he goes, and right then, the voice of God, Abraham, Abraham. And he stopped. And he says, here I am. And God said to him, don't hurt the boy. And I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, don't lay a hand on him. Now I know you fear me. You fear me. For you were willing to sacrifice your only Son, the son of promise. At that moment, my father began to tremble. And he looked down. And all of a sudden we heard horns whacking against the wood. Have you ever heard that sound? And my dad looks up and he sees a ram 
I could see his eyes get happy and I'm laying on the altar and I look back and I could see the ram. And I thought to myself, maybe now's the time to speak. And I said, hey, dad, a ram. What do you think? And so he unties me and the two of us together took that ram and put it on the altar and sacrificed to God. And as we were walking down from that altar, he put his hand on me and he said, this place shall be called the Lord will provide. He has provided for us, Isaac. The Lord will provide. We must never forget this. Do you know that we tell that story around the fire all the time? Our goal is to make sure that everybody in our families and our friends knows that God provides. We tell that story today. Isaac, trying to experience what it means to about be sacrificed. Genesis chapter 22. Let's go back through this passage and let's make sure that we don't just learn from a story side, but let's actually learn from the word of God. Genesis 22. The first thing that Abraham is learning about how to deal with testing. Number one, expect to be tested or stretched. Expect to be tested or stretched. In the first two verses, we see real clearly, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, the kids are enjoying themselves. We are too. And Abraham said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's look at this a little closer. After these things, what things? Well, to start with Genesis 12, 15 and 17 promises from God to Abraham, promises of many generations of land, of a son promises that he could count on. Abraham starts with hope. He moves out based on a calling from God. He gets excited like that. He gets excited and he goes after it. Promises. But you know what? More than promises, failures. He ends up in the middle of the wilderness and he's afraid. So he lies about who his wife is and says, well, she's my sister. Well, she kind of was, but she was kind of more than that. She's your wife. And as he explains the relationship to himself, yeah, it's kind of legit to say that because she's kind of in the blood. Like, I don't he doesn't trust God. And he doesn't do it just once. He does it twice. And then he has to send Lot away as they find their properties. And then he has to send his own son Ishmael away because his wife is upset with his handmaid. He's created a total fiasco. Let's just be honest. Abraham has been sent off to do the will of God, and on the way, he's created quite the mess. And in the middle of it, God still blesses with Isaac. And the last 13 years have been phenomenal. And he's loved watching his promised son grow. After these things, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, the word tested here literally means to try in order to prove its worth. It does not mean to cause to stumble. It does not mean 
to make fail. It does mean to put under duress in order to prove its worth and value. That's what that word means. God is showing Abraham that his faith is solid. He's testing it, okay? Now he goes on and he gives three commands. God is to the point, okay? Three commands. Take, go, and offer. Take. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Your only son? I thought he had Ishmael. Yes, but this is the son that comes through both Abraham and Sarah. The only full-blood, legitimate son through marriage, through promise of God. Your only son, Isaac. The one through which the promise has been blessed. Take that son. You know, the one you're counting on. Take that one. Go. Go where? Go to Moriah. Okay. Cool little thought. Where's Moriah? If you actually go forward to Second Chronicles 3, right at the beginning of that chapter, it, you don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. At Mount Moriah, Solomon's temple will be built in Jerusalem. Moriah, Jerusalem, the temple, all of it's coming together. Abraham and Isaac are experiencing their experience of the sacrifice element at the same place that downstream will be Jerusalem and the kingdom. And not hundreds of yards from there where Christ will be crucified. Moriah, the mountain where God will provide. Moriah, that's the place you go. And he sent him there. So he goes off and he does the following. He takes, he goes, and he offers. So the response to that, well, good question, is the response... Uh, okay, God, I got a couple questions for you. Are you serious? That's what you're thinking? So how are you going to manage the whole promise thing? Like, I got a few ideas myself. Can we talk it over a little bit? Maybe we should have sort of a vote, you know? Can we do one of those? That's not what he does, right? It just says, verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and then he goes on. Expect to be stretched or tested. Expect it. When we don't, it's when we end up dissatisfied. We expect the comfort. We expect it to go really well. We expect no problems. Guess what happens? When the problems come, we start saying, why me? Why you, God? I've got a better plan. Expect to be tested and be ready to respond in the middle of it. Are you being stretched? Right now, with the circumstances that you're in, are you being tested? Are there circumstances in your family or in your work or with friendships where God is basically testing a little bit, stretching a little bit? How are you responding? Are you expecting it? Are you ready to work with him? God's got a plan. Embrace the plan. Say, let's go, God. What do we need to do? I'll do exactly what you want. It's about your glory. Are you ready? Expect it. Number two, focus on God's promises. This is verses three through eight. Focus on God's promises. So first, expect the, the testing. Number two, focus on God's promises. Okay, let's just walk through this. We'll go right through the narrative flow here, all right? Verses three through eight. So Mo, or Abraham's response to the command. He says, Abraham rose, saddled, and took. 
Three very definitive moves. Not much talking, just a lot of doing. He got up early. He went ahead and got the young men. He got his son Isaac. And then the next wave. He cut some wood. He arose and went to the place that God had told him. He's up and he's doing. If you look at Hebrew narrative, when they start doing this kind of thing where there's do, 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 they're making a point. There's some fast-paced transitions taking place. You're seeing high obedience. They're not spending time worrying about the thought processes. They're saying, what did he do? You know, in the prior chapters, we've got an Abraham who's lying about anybody related to him so he can survive. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here, and maybe I have to lie in order to get it, and maybe I... Not this time. He does, 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 does. I'm following you, Lord. Let's get it on. Let's go. Abraham is being obedient. After he's done these things, on the third day, on the third day, this is a three-day travel. That's a long time to be walking eight hours a day, three days, to go out in order to worship. He's called him to a specific mountain for a specific purpose. We could read into it on the third day, and you've got the three days that Christ was in the tomb, and I'm not sure that this is actually that kind of metaphor, but it is an interesting little number that showed up. But you know, in the end, God's got his hand on this, and he's making a very specific point. I am the provider. And Abraham gets to the spot where exactly God wants him. And in verse 5, it says, Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and here it comes. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. What? Abraham, you were asked to just sacrifice your son. The word was give him up as a burnt offering. It means to slaughter and burn. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to return with him. Well, in Hebrews 11, we get a little insight. The Holy Spirit, kind of whispering through the writer of Hebrews, tells us very clearly, you know what he was thinking? He was thinking, apparently God's going to raise him from the dead. I'm going to follow through and apparently he's going to raise him from the dead. Because I got to tell you what, he promised good things through Isaac. And yet he's asking me to do this. So the only way I'm seeing him come together is apparently I'm killing him and he's rising from the dead. And I think Isaac's going, maybe God's got a different plan. <laughs> maybe there's a better way to do this. As it goes down, he says, I and the boy, we will worship and come again to you. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So we've got the knife, we've got the fire, we've got the wood. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. Uh, Abraham responds, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham's response is telltale. He says, God will provide for us. Is that what he says? God will provide for us. That's not what it says. It says, God will provide for himself. For himself. You see, this whole thing is really not about Abraham and Isaac. It is about the glory of God Almighty. And God will be providing, and it will draw attention and show him off. It is about God himself. 
And that's what Abraham recognized. How could Abraham have been so certain? Because he was given a promise. And we've already looked at who Yahweh is. The one to be trusted. Character not changing. I am the Lord your God, I change not. Abraham has embraced a promising God who will follow through. And so he must say, if I'm promised that Isaac is the, is the one to be the source of promise, then no matter what happens here, somehow Isaac is back from the dead. I'm trusting. We will return. You know, the immortal words of, I'll be back. They ring very true here. And Isaac had a chance to be saying the same. In the midst of a rough plan, Abraham's got the gist that God's involved. At the end of verse 8, it says, So they went, both of them, together. They went and they did. They responded. Let me ask you this question. You're in the midst of a trial. You're in the midst of a tough spot. What promises can you cling to? God has promises for you to be embracing. You know, it's not the same promises Abraham had, but in some ways it's even bigger. Let me ask you a question. Are you aware of, I mean, I've lived, I just wrote down eight promises here, okay? Here's eight promises that you can embrace. There are a ton more, but here's eight. Number one, you can have eternal life. In other words, whatever's going on in this 70 to 100 years of your life, there's a myriad beyond it. You can have everlasting life with God himself. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Promise. Promise number two. You can have a peace that guards your heart. Did you know that? In the middle of the, the worst struggles, you can actually have a calm where people can ask, what's wrong with you? You should be more upset than this. A peace that guards your heart. Philippians 4, 7. Promise number three, you can have a joy that is complete and satisfying if we abide in him. John chapter 15, verse 11. A joy, a peace, eternal life, perspective. Promise number four, you can have a grace that is sufficient. Not comfort that is sufficient. Not answers to prayer that give you everything you want, but grace. God in the moment giving you things you don't warrant and yet lavishing upon you. Grace that is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Promise number five. Did you know you have a promise that all things work together for good? Not all things work together for the best. That'd be nice, but that would mean we're perfect too. So when we mess it up, God is still willing to get involved and work with us. And make good come of it. Nothing is so big that he can't write it. I don't care what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've been hurting in, what mistakes you've made. God can begin to work with you and make it right. Picture it like a potter in clay. And the clay is kind of wet and you can mold it. And he calls you over and the thing's spinning and he's doing the wheel with his foot. And we go like this and we squeeze too hard and it goes all over the place. You know what I mean? And you get this big mess of clay and he goes, don't worry, I got it. And he can step in and shape it and make it good. No matter what's going on in your life, God comes in 
and all things can work together for the good. Are you letting him work? All things can work together. Premise number six, scripture is profitable. You know, if we just wander through life trying to do the what do I feel, what do I think thing, we can get into a lot of trouble. Scripture is profitable. We can lean on this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Hebrews 4, 12. This is a mighty information booklet for us, but it's more. It's God communicating with you daily. Scripture is profitable. Promise number seven, the Holy Spirit is involved in your life. In the midst of this daily walk, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, he is taking up residence and working with you. The Holy Spirit is providing. John chapters 14 through 16, like three chapters there that are just phenomenal to read about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And the last promise I put down, you will not be tempted beyond that you are able. You can hold up. I can't take it anymore. Then you're trying to do it on your own strength. Look for the way out. God's got it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Those are just some promises. There are a myriad. It's a blast to just sit down with the Bible and start looking for promises. But where are you at in the midst of your struggle? What promises do you need to claim right now? Do we need perspective, eternal life, scripture, the Holy Spirit? Do we need hope of grace and joy and that all things will work together for good? What promises do you need to be focusing on and clinging to in the midst of the tough time so that God can make the impact in you? Find those promises and go after them with everything you've got. You've got to focus on the promise. It'll give you the strength to carry through in the midst of some tough, tough moments. So expect the stretching. Focus on the promise as you're going through the stretching. Not focus on the problem, right? That's easy to do, but focus on the promise. It's the whole thing. Remember a couple weeks back, about a month back when I was saying you hold your hand out. Remember this whole thing? So lift your thumbs up. Let's do it all again real quick. Thumb in the air. Point them at me. Point your thumb at me. Close one eye. If you can't do that, put a hand over the eye. Okay. Can you see me? Now bring your thumb towards you and bring it all the way in until I disappear and it's all thumb. Okay? When we're in the middle of a problem, this is what we do real often. Oh yeah, I get that. This problem is... And all of a sudden we're just staring right here and we lose sight of what's going on out in front of us with who is God and what promises has he given. Get that thumb out at arm's length. How do I do it? Focus on the promises. Focus on the promises. Okay? Point number three, praise him for his provision. This is where it ends. Praise him for his provision. When he comes through, don't cut him short. Praise him for his provision. You know, God showed mightily in this story. He says here, so when they came to that place, verse 9, when they came to the place, Moriah, you know, God is talking to Abraham in a way where he's hearing voice. What a cool opportunity of interacting with God. And Abraham decides, this is it. God said here, he builds the altar and he lays the wood in order and then he bound Isaac. I can't believe it just took two words to say that. And he bound Isaac. What an amazing moment. I mean, was Isaac struggling? Was God just convincing Isaac that everything was okay too? Was Isaac thinking, dad's lost it? I'll just go along for a while? 
Did Abraham say some words to calm him? We don't know. All we know is that in the end, it ended up seemingly somewhat of an effortless thing where he's just bound and placed on the altar. Obedience. When we look back at our own obedience, what should not be most prevalent is all the back-talking. It should be the obedience. Let's celebrate as God's working, and let's be obedient through the process of it. So he bound him. In verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. This word literally means slaughter. <laughs> it's brutal. This is a brutal moment in time. And God calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Can you imagine? I mean, his ears had to be so perked at that moment, right? He's going to say something sometime. And, and then he hears it and he stops. He's like, I'm so thankful it was before. Yes, I'm here. I'm listening. I'll put the knife down. What do you have to say? Right? And God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know, now I know that you fear God. So God had a problem knowing before. Is that what that's being said there? Now I know. What God is doing is he is taking Abraham to a full stretch to where Abraham had to actually live it out, not just say it. He had to do it and believe it. And God was right there with him. God wasn't surprised by the result, but he was working with him in it, okay? And in the midst of this, Abraham is brought to the point where he gets to see not only God's provision, but his own faith and what level he's finally at. He's given his only son, verse 12, his only son, the one that had promise attached. At that moment, behind him, behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket. Now, just a little note here. In the Hebrew... There's a couple of different verb forms that can be used. And there's this one verb form. It's in the perfect form. It doesn't matter really just just to know this. There's two verb forms. And this one verb form is only used twice, beginning and end. At the beginning, God tested Abraham. And at the end, ram caught in the thicket. What's being said? God tests, God provides. That's the bookend. That's this story. How do we best capture this story? It's not looking at Abraham and Isaac. It's looking at God himself. God tested, God provided. And so when Abraham was done, did he name this, this mountain? This mountain shall be named, Abraham was obedient. This mountain will be named, Isaac didn't fight much while I bound him. This mountain will be named, God will provide. What should our focus be in the midst of our struggle? God and his interaction in our lives. Not us, not the people next to us, not the dumb thing that was said by somebody who said something hurtful or silly or somebody that backed out of a promise to you or something. Like all of a sudden we're bringing the thumb in close, right? God, keep your focus on him. He will provide. You know, at the end here, not something to be slighted. This book is being written by Moses 400 plus years later. And he says right at the very end, Abraham names the mountain, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, the time of Moses, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. How did that get passed down? Talks around the fire. Stories from family to family, generation to generation, just like Deuteronomy challenges. Teach your kids in the way that they should go by telling about the things that God has done. Jesus at work in our life is something we need to celebrate. 
So the God of the Old Testament, I am, will provide. When will he provide exactly? Can we just get this real clear? Three things to note about provision. The how, when, and where. Just real fast. How? Usually pretty natural ways. Like a ram caught in a thicket. You could go, ah, that wasn't God. That was a ram caught in a thicket. Really? He wasn't there right before that? He happened to run up and stick his head in the thicket right when he's ready to... Think about that. The timing is immaculate. But the provision is just a ram. Pretty natural. When? At the point of need and not before. Have you ever noticed that God really likes not giving you things well in advance? It just doesn't take much faith. Oh, I've already got that. I stockpiled it in the back room. We're good. The stretch is what matters. He's growing us to be conformed to his image every day, Romans 8. It's the timing, the 11th hour. That's God timing. Hebrews 4, 1 through 6 is a great one for that. Him helping us in our time of need and not before. Where? You know when? When we're in his will. That's where. And when we're not in his will, how arrogant of us to demand provision in the midst. I'm doing my own thing and I'm going my own way. I'd still prefer you provide for me now, Lord. In the middle of our obedience is when he can best provide. So provision, how, when, and where. The simple basics, just with God's timing. When? At the very 11th hour, in the time of need. Where? When you are in his will, hanging out there. That's the God of the Old Testament. God of the New. Jesus Christ. I just want to make sure we always wrap these two together, okay? Did you know that Isaac says, but behold, where is the lamb? John one twenty nine. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's our Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Just like Abraham was asked to give Isaac. In Romans 8.32, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The Jesus that we know is the God who provides. When we stand in a spot before a holy God that is this simple, God Almighty is righteous and holy, but he's also loving and merciful. And in his righteousness and holiness, he needs to demand payment for wrongdoing. But in his love and mercy... He wants to save us and pull us close. And look at the position of tension that puts him in at the cross. He provides and he fully satisfies his righteousness and his holiness and his love and his mercy all at one time in his sacrifice at the cross. Jesus Christ, the I am will provide at Moriah, the same place. That should give us shivers. God is foreshadowing hundreds of years in advance. I'm going to be here for you. What a plan do I have? The burden sits on me. It's this simple. Romans 3.23 says, we've all come short. You've shot an air ball. Did you know that? It's a sports term. It says we've come up short. It's archery. It's like you're aiming at a target. You shoot and you miss and you come up short. You didn't just miss the bullseye. You didn't just miss the outer ring. You actually hit the sand in front and turf flew. And they went, oh, he's, and that term would be sin that was used there. It's just like basketball today when you pull up at 23 feet out and you shoot like a 19-footer. <laughs> and everybody says, 
louder. Everybody says, that's what it is. It's just a sports term. It means you missed it, man. You had a target and you missed. We've all missed the glory of God. And there is one solution. Forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Have you embraced a relationship with him today or before that has started a relationship that will last forever based on saying, please forgive me for, for what I've done wrong and use your shed blood as that replacement payment. I know that I've shot an air ball. I've come up short. I'm not perfect and I haven't gone where you wanted me to go. And the penalty for that, eternal separation. Thank you for being willing to forgive me. Please use your shed blood and do that right now. If you have not done that, today is the day for salvation. Let's not walk out talking about the I am will provide and not embrace the ultimate provision, his life for you.